When I was a young Christian, I had a lot of, a lot of passion. I have no passion now. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I had so much passion. And I remember talking to a, a, a mentor, a, a person. He's not really a mentor, someone I knew who, who'd been a Christian for 30 years. And I was just excited about God. And he's talking to me. He goes, hey, you know, it's good that you're excited about God. But as you grow older, that passion fades. And I remember getting so angry. So angry in my spirit, so disappointed. Because I said, you know, understand, like, as the more I know about Jesus, the more I know how broken I am and how broken I was. And it makes what he did for me so much greater. And the more I know about his love and what he's doing, I just get more. You're telling me that the more I know about who God is, the less passionate I'm going to get? That can't be it. Happy 2020, everybody. You made it. Uh, it's no longer 2019. Uh, it's crazy to think that 2000 was 20 years ago now, because to me, 1980 still feels like it was 20 years ago, even though I wasn't born yet. But uh, Happy New Year. Um, if you're new here, my name is Sam. I'm the host for the show. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you're coming back, if you're a dedicated listener, thank you for spending some time with us and um, you know listening to what God's doing at Life Church Canton. Uh, this, this episode of the podcast is a part of our series called 2020 Vision, and uh, this series is basically a look at uh, what we want to do this year as, as Life Church Canton, and um, some of the new initiatives that we're launching and some of the, um, the goals that we have. And um, in this particular message, Nathan is talking about uh, a lot about a process called Life Journey that we have uh, are going to be launching in February, um, and this is... A big push for discipleship, and um, he's going to explain it a lot, so I'll just let you listen to him. Um, So here's Nathan. Enjoy his message. I'm so glad that you guys like each other. That's wonderful. Hope you feel like you belong. You can have a seat. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Man, it's, it's good to see you guys. It's been a great weekend. We've had a lot of people on Saturday and a lot of people in the room today. But I'm looking around at these faces, and I feel like I haven't seen you since last decade. There you go. There's my dad joke for the day. All done with that. Uh, I, I love the holidays. It feels like a rush, and this season feels new, but there's always something that goes wrong in the holidays. Anyone? Yeah, something's going to go wrong for me. Something broke in my house in the midst of all of the stuff that we had to do. I had the shutoff valve for the hot water line that fed the entire house from my water heater. The shutoff valve started to leak from the stem, and, and it was getting puddling on the floor, and it was going on for a couple days. Days and I finally had time to do it. But I've been working here uh, all weekend, and then at about 9 p.m. on Saturday, I got to pull away, and I realized I have to fix this, so I went to Taco Bell, where I eat food before I work on the house, uh, <laughs> and I watched YouTube videos, went to Home Depot before it closed, got home, set up, went into the basement, and above my head is this spigot that's been, you know, corroded, and it's dripping, and uh, I've learned the first thing you're supposed to do is go up there and take two pipe wrenches and just tie Tighten down the bolt and see if that'll fix. So my plan is to do that tonight. Since I'm not going to be there too long, I didn't have my shoes on. I'm literally standing in the water, just so you know how I like to work on things. And I look at it, and I'm like, you know what? This is not me, but it's a little corroded. I go back upstairs. I grab some of my steel wool, and I go down. I'm like, I'm going to clean this up so I can see what I'm doing. As, as I'm cleaning there, I'm just kind of like rubbing it and looking at it and all that. All of a sudden, it's on fire. I'm not kidding. There it is on fire. And I'm staring at it because I didn't know steel wool caught on fire. And I go, what is happening? I drop it in the convenient puddle of water at my feet and kind of move it around with my bare foot to put it out. And then I have this moment. This this is how I work, right? (laughs) I have this moment of absolute befuddlement. What 
just happened. I'm using steel wool on some steel. I'm not like rubbing it like crazy. And, there, and there's water dripping. And, and I look back up at the place where I'm looking. And peeking out over the top of the wall right there is a 220 line that's bare and live. And what had happened is while I am rubbing this, it had arced over and set my steel wool on fire. And I have this moment of absolute clarity where I realized had I gone up and just taken the two pipe wrenches and tightened it, I would have connected with this 220 line. Moment of absolute clarity. <laughs> I don't know how long it had been that way, but I had a very dangerous situation on my hand. I looked up at it and said, nope, and walked out. <laughs> it's fixed, don't worry, everything's taken care of. But do you ever have a moment like that? This moment where you're like, oh, I need to question every one of my life choices. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I need to undo that. I feel like the new year's like that. And, and, and so much of us feel this way. We feel this freshness, this newness, this opportunity, you know, new year, new me. Like, I'm going to do some things. I'm going to make some resolutions. And maybe you have made some resolutions. I want to get healthier. I want to lose weight. I finally want to get that job I've always wanted. I want to have better relationships with my kids. Maybe it has to do with romantic relationships. I want to actually have a girlfriend or I don't want to have a boyfriend anymore or whatever it is. Or I want to work on my marriage. I want to have discipline. I want to exercise. I want to write that book. I want to read a book for the first time in 10 years. I want to get that degree. Like, I don't know what your resolution is. We have these lofty goals this time of year. And often... They're hard because we would have already been doing them if they weren't goals. We just have been doing them. We have to change, and change is painful. In fact, I love this quote. It talks about change. Change only happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of having to change. This, this is this idea that we have to like, you know, change only when it becomes too painful to stay the same. And that's why in the first month, 80% of New Year's resolutions fail. 80%. And there's lots of reasons. Lack of clarity, setting expectations too high. I don't care who you are. You're not losing 50 pounds in a month. It's not happening. <laughs> That's just, I mean, you could chop off both your legs, but that is the only way you're going to lose it. it but, but what is it? What is the real reason? The real reason is this. It comes down to the pain of our change seems greater than the pain of just staying the way we are. We wait until pain of our current lifestyle is too much to bear. And maybe that's a heart attack. Maybe that's a divorce. Maybe that's a child who go off the deep end, something that causes you to finally make that change. And often, like an exposed live wire in your house, you don't make a change until something in your life is set on fire or you die, and then there's no time to change. See, the problem is this. We seek comfort more than change. And so we don't step through the pain into something more. Or maybe this speaks to you a little bit better. We seek security instead of having impact in the world. Or we seek safety instead of leaving a legacy behind. Is something more in our life, change, really worth the pain of getting it? I want to talk about Paul. And Paul had a little bit moment like me, except he didn't get electrocuted. He got knocked off of his horse by God, course corrected, 
and saw God basically and God said, why are you persecuting me? And then he made him blind and he changed his life forever. And Paul became someone who had a singular focus. He was pursuing something from that moment on. He wanted more of God. And I want to introduce you to him because his desire, his drive is something that should inspire every single one of us. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Philippians, Philippians 3 specifically. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to get it out. You can get your phone out and you can go to it. It'll also be on the screens, but I I encourage you get into the word of God. It's a good thing. And he's talking about this idea of obtaining what God has for him. That's where we pick it up in Philippians 3, Philippians 3, chapter 12, or verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He took hold of me on that road. He took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. There's something more. What is it? Let's keep reading. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, And straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul had a singular focus in his life, this goal. He talks about that pressing, that straining on towards a goal. Often Paul refers to it as like a race, like a running. I'm going to run that race. I'm going to keep on running. I'm not going to stop. Why does Paul use this imagery of this goal, this race, this end? Why does he use this imagery of running? When I think of running, are there any runners in the room? Do you have any runners in the room? Anyone? Yeah, yeah. Y'all crazy. Y'all crazy. I used to run. I hated every moment of it. I like trained for 5K, 10Ks. I trained for a half marathon. I trained for two marathons and I kept getting hurt. Runners are crazy. You, you guys are nuts. Or maybe you're a biker or you're a triathlon. Like the amount of work and time and pain that you have to go through to run races, it's incredibly difficult. And why do you do it? To achieve something that seems almost impossible. Something that is like a high goal. And Paul uses this imagery for a reason. I think runners are actually pretty inspiring. In October of last year uh, in Arizona, there's a race that's been going on for 30 years. It's a 50-mile race, and it goes up and down hills and, and through water and all over the place. It's crazy. It's very, very cross-country, and it's 50 miles, and the race is between humans and horses, and the goal is to see who will win and who wins. The horses, right? Like that's what I thought, and that has been the case. A 50-mile race that started because a guy walked in after a race 30 years ago and said, I just ran this race this fast. I am awesome. And the guy in the room who's a cowboy is just like, I bet you my horse could beat you. And he's like, game on. Let's do this. And for 30 years, the horses have always won until this year. Nick Corey, for the first time, a human beat not just one horse, not just two of the horses racing, not just 10 of the horses racing. He beat all of the horses that were racing. He ran 50 miles in a time of six hours and 14 minutes. That's a seven and a half minute mile just underneath it. He he ran it in six hours, 14 minutes and beat the lead horse by an hour and 15 minutes. Who thought that was impossible? When you know how to run a race, 
Nothing seems impossible. And Nick Corey knew how to run a race. They interviewed on him. He said, I kept my mind on what I was doing in the moment. I kept on moving. I kept on straying one mile at a time, one mile at a time, one mile at a time. I kept moving at one stretch. We, they went up 1,500 feet in the course of a mile. And at that point, I had to literally press and strain and push my own knees down while I ran. But I kept on running. Nothing was going to get me to stop. And he beat Horses. Incredible. So it makes all the sense in the world to me that Paul, that Paul would use this analogy of racing. He describes the Christian life as this continual forgetting of what's behind, how it's been going so far, just focusing on moving ahead, relentlessly centering his energy, his interest, his time on what is ahead of him. Our life, our life is a race. So Paul helps us understand that. And when you learn how to race, nothing, nothing at all seems impossible. We keep the end in mind, which is the goal. Now, Paul, in his life, if, if you know anything about him, but if you're just taking the scripture and what I've talked about, it, it, is Paul pursuing security, comfort, safety? No, no. He's not. He's pursuing something completely different. Paul's goal and his prize is the same thing. It's the complete knowledge of Jesus Christ, both in the power of his resurrection and new life, but also, he says, in the fellowship. Like, I, I want to be involved in his suffering and, and running races and, and moving forward and pressing. It's suffering. It's pain. Why? Because Paul wanted to encounter Jesus. He wanted to encounter Jesus again and again and again. So he never let anything obstruct his running that race. Whatever it took, wherever it took him, he did it. Nothing could convince him that he had already possessed all Christ desired for him. When I was a young Christian, I had a lot of, a lot of passion. I have no passion now. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But I had so much passion, and I remember talking to a, a, a mentor, a, a person, he's not really a mentor, someone I knew who'd, who'd been a Christian for 30 years, and I was just excited about God. And he's talking to me, he goes, hey, you know, it's good that you're excited about God, but as you grow older, that passion fades. And I remember getting so angry, so angry in my spirit, so disappointed, because I said, you know, understand, like, as, the more I know about Jesus, the more I know how broken I am and how broken I was, and it makes what he did for me so much greater, and the more I know about his love and what he's doing, I just get more, you're telling me that the more I know about who God is, the less passionate I'm going to get? That can't be it. It's got to be more. And Paul is saying, no, there's more. There's more to understand about who he is. There's more passion, more drive, more things that will take you through incredible circumstances because Paul became driven by something. Not about his security, his comfort. He became driven by new life. That's why it's our number one code. We're driven by new life to see this transformation, to know more of who God is to experience more of his joy, of what Jesus has done for us, but also to see it happen in people. That's why he planted churches. That's why he went out and did incredible things because he was driven by something, a singular focus that enabled Paul to leave a legacy today that inspires us and guides us even now. What would it be like to have that kind of legacy? This is who we could be too, and that is why Paul is writing what if there was more to Jesus than you ever imagined. 
no matter how you walked into this room, whether you even believe in Christianity at all, you've been away for a while, you've been here for years, or you're 40 years into this walk with Jesus, what if there was more? What if there was more to explore about what God can do in you and through you? That's what this series is about. God is calling us to more, more than we can ask or imagine. God is calling us to more, a singular focus. It's time to learn how to race, and I hope that you're with me. I hope that you're ready to learn how to race, because when you do, you can do incredible things. But he starts off by talking about one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, forgetting, leaving behind obstructions I press on, and there's something that has to be left behind, something that you have to leave behind, and I do too. Now, I'm going to talk about something, an illustration that will help you understand that, and it's called the bounded set and the centered set. It's a mindset, a way of thinking about your life, the bounded set or the centered set. I'll explain this. So Americans, we have a goal, right? As an American, we've been told over and over again that if we work hard enough, if that we are smart and outwork and do all these kinds of things, then we can achieve something. We're all pursuing our own piece of that American dream, our own piece of the pie. And, and maybe it looks like having a nice home that we can afford with a mortgage that we can handle, having multiple cars, being able to go on vacation and be comfortable enough in retirement while still having the things that we want. This is something that we strive for. We work hard enough, we can get it. Or maybe it's that our kids would have opportunity, that they would be able to do the things that they want to do and can do, but that they would do well enough and plan well enough to go to college or to get a trade with the least amount of debt possible so that they can do that with their children as well. We find comfort in that. Teenagers, maybe you feel the pressure to get those good grades or play those sports to get those scholarships so you're not putting a burden on yourself or your family or to get into the right college, the college that will make your family proud. You know, maybe you feel that pressure to have place and position and influence, whether that's at work or in our organizations or community. That's part of the American dream. And what all these things do, they give us a sense of comfort and security and safety, the pursuit of happiness, to be okay, to feel that the future is secure enough. The problem is with this, is we have taken this approach to life, this mindset, this bounded set, and applied it to our spiritual walk. Truly, there is no difference, but we have come into this room every day, wherever you came from, you come into this room with this understanding. I have it, you have it. It's something that was given to us from birth. You can actually hear ourselves say these kinds of things to our children. It's this idea of security. And when we bring it into our spiritual walk, it can be very interesting and dangerous. So I'll explain it this way. Everything I just talked about, the American dream, the home, all of that, we're going to make a line, a finished line, if you would, somewhere that we can arrive at. And so it looks kind of like this. Oh, if I have the home that I want, if I have the job that I want, if I have all the things for my kids, if I have all of that, and I have enough money saved up, and I've got that vacation home plan, and I've done that and had the things and all that, if I can cross that line, I'm going to be all right. And so all of us is pursuing crossing that line. No, not necessarily a bad thing. Let's add to it. So we're Christians. 
A lot of us are. And so most of us, we've grown up, whether we grew up in church or not, learning that we need to be a good Christian, right? We need to make sure that we're saved, that we've done the things, that we're baptized. That's really important that we do that. And so we create this line for us. So in this line, we make sure that we do the things we're supposed to do and not do the things we're not supposed to do. So we're not supposed to swear, or at least no one hears us swear, right? That's, that's okay. And, and um, we're not supposed to listen to certain kinds of music, but other kinds of music is okay. And we don't know what music is okay unless we listen to Caleb, and Caleb tells us what's okay and what's not. <laughs> So if we go to a concert for anybody else, even if it's John Mayer, bad. But if we go and listen to Caleb, we're okay. Being a good Christian, following the rules. Our goal is to get across that line. Then we continue to grow with it. We say, okay, we want a church, right? We want a church place that meets all of our preferences, a place where we feel comfortable, a place that has the music that we like, the preachers that we like, that have people inside of it that look just like us, especially, hopefully, the right skin tone and all of that. And so we want a church that we get to choose, right? And so if we choose it, oh, that feels good. But if we're out here or there's conflict or anything like that, or, oh, I don't really like any of that, so I, I'm going I'm to choose this. And finally, we do this with God. This is, this is the hard one. Some of us, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and he's called you out of some sin issues. He's called you out of some junk in your life, and it's been incredible, and because of that, there's been a huge benefit to your life because when you come out of sin, things get better because sin destroys, and following God's way is good, and so we've started to enjoy the comfort of it. And so we want our relationship with God not to be full of conflict or pain or suffering. We want to be good with God. We want to feel good and that God's got our bath. He's going to take care of us. And all of these lines, we are trying to get in. If we could just get in, we'd be okay. And once we're in, whew, there can't be any anxiety in here, right? Or at least not that much. And this is what we're pursuing, and I don't know where you're at, if you're way far out, or if you're close, or you were born into this, but this is the American dream. This is the bounded set, to feel safe and comfortable, and the goal here is to arrive. Our goal as Americans is to, you've arrived. That is what we try to do, because there is where we feel safe. That is the bounded set. We think that life is about arriving. What if Paul wasn't talking about arriving? What if he was talking about something more? See, Paul wasn't driven by comfort and safety and security. He was driven by new life, continual over and over again, new life. What would allow him to press and strain through torture and beatings and hunger and sickness and betrayal and imprisonment and eventually death. What would cause him to go in? Hadn't he done enough? Hadn't he done enough? Shouldn't he rest? Paul wasn't a very good American, was he? Haven't you done enough? Haven't you given so much to get where you are, to get here? What's so bad about arriving? What's so bad about it? Bounded set.
See, arriving wasn't Jesus' plan for his life when he came. It wasn't to arrive. It isn't God's plan. Arriving wasn't God's plan for Paul, and arriving is not God's plan for you and for me. What then? is the plan. Jesus came not to arrive, but to move his whole life in separately to like one thing, to the cross. To the cross and to sacrifice for us so that we would know him. The cross is the center. And so if this bounded set is the box, then the cross is the centered set where one thing, our whole life orbits around and it is this cross. It is what has happened here to know the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ is and should be the center of our lives. The box or the cross, you have to choose. Our life is either for this box or this for the cross. Spent some time with my family. With now we have a brood of, of, of cousins and kids, and my kids are green. It's it's a good time. But I, I find myself. Do you ever have those moments where your dad or your mom says something to you, or you're around your family, and you find yourself reverting back to the person you were when you were a teenager? That happened to me. It happens more and more rarely, but it happened to me. There's chaos all around us. I'm tired, and my dad, out of nowhere, you know, in the midst of all the bottles and everything happening, and and the kids playing with toys, he goes to me, he goes, Nathan. I'm like, yeah, dad. And he goes, if God could do anything for you this year, what would it be? And I just went back to my teenage self, and I was like, ah, Dad, don't be so annoying. Like, that's what I thought in my head. I didn't say it out loud. And granted, I understand since I was born into the box that I am grateful for parents who love Jesus that would even ask me that kind of question. You could just tell the state of my mind where I was like, like, I don't want to answer that. But as I started to think about it, I realized that my initial frustration when I thought about what I wanted God to do, the idea of asking him to do something very specific, it, it felt like I'm setting an expectation for God to live up to. You know, whether that's for my family or to have lots of salvations or to grow the church in a certain way or help us reach more diverse people, all of those things. I, I don't have a point in my family's life or in this church's life where I want us to arrive I want us to keep moving. And so it's almost like if I set this expectation of God that I would limit what he would do, but I know God is going to move. I know he's going to do things. I just want him to do more than I can ask or imagine. I want him to do even more. So we're going to have goals. Of course we are. But when the idea of what would you, if you could have anything, what would you want God to do for you? And I immediately knew what I wanted. And I turned to my dad and I said, what I want is I want my people, my family, my church, you, I want my people to make Jesus the center of their everything. And God will do infinitely more than I can ask and imagine if that is true. If our position is not about achieving something, but achieving a journey by going on a journey that that that's the case. And if I could say anything to you right now is I want more than anything else that Jesus be your center. Everything. That is my heart for you and everything we're going to do, everything we do, everything is about positioning you to move towards Jesus. Not about some goal, but to move you towards Jesus. 
What is the only obstacle, church, to this happening? It's this box. There's an obstacle that we must leave behind. This isn't about arriving. This isn't about arriving. It's about a journey closer and closer and closer and closer to Christ. Paul refused to believe that he experienced all that God could do in and through him. Life is about a journey. And it's time for you to take the next step. It's time for us to take the next step. I'm asking you to come to terms with the box and to take a step out. And when you do, you'll look back to the box and realize it's actually just a facade. It's something that's designed that if I could just get inside of it, I would feel secure that nothing bad could happen to me, that I won't have this happen. I am, I am here and I'll be okay. And when you step out of the box, you look back at it and you say, this is a, a facade. It's about doing the right things. It's about a shame cycle. It's not a box of safety. It's imprisonment. You know impact, no legacy, no real joy happens here. I also know something else. Until you step out and keep moving, you won't believe me. You won't believe me because you have put your hope and your faith in this and not in that. The joy and the freedom that you experience when you're on this journey that is painful and hard but moving is something that you can only experience for yourself. And so it's time to take the next step to pursue Jesus for the love of him and to see what God can do through you. I want to spend the rest of our time telling you how to do this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Church, we have a job to do. and We will see it through. This is what Jesus did. He died on the cross. He went into a grave. And then he rose again, appeared to his people for a small, short period of time. And then he said one thing to them and ascended to heaven at the end. One last thing, and it was this in Matthew 28, 18. And if you need to like read this and get this deep in your heart, the last thing that the person we love told us to do was this. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have commanded you, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. We have a job to make disciples, to multiply. We've got to multiply. We have to reproduce what's inside of us and give it to somebody else. We have to grow to all nations. And with the goal of making disciples of all nations in mind, we're launching the life journey Today, today we're launching the life journey. It's, it's a, a course is yes, but it's actually a new way of thinking, a way that we can partner together to help people grow in the faith and to be discipled, that we would see discipleship explode and grow. And so your next step is taking a step into discipleship, taking a step into the life journey, a strategic process of learning how to follow and imitate Jesus, a process spanning years with 35 writers and 12 presenters and over 30 course facilitators at this point. The life journey will be the way that Life Church produces disciples who make disciples who make disciples, and we leave a legacy. If you want to be a part of the foundation of the next decade of ministry here at Life Church, you will take a step into discipleship. 
into this life journey. No matter where you are, even if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, this is your next step. You should have received a piece of paper when you sat down. Why don't you get that out for me? I'm going to go over some things with you, but we wanted to make sure that there's a lot going on that you understand what's happening. There's more opportunity for you to grow. So maybe it's time for you to take your next step. The first step for everyone is explore. And maybe you take a step out of the box and you explore why we believe. Especially if you're skeptical and you're not sure about your faith with Jesus, but for all of us, we need to take a step into this and maybe this is your next step. Right after that is encounter. Encountering the core of the faith. Encountering the truth, right? But truth isn't just for knowledge, it's for doing. And so the habits that will help us move forward is your next step. After that, you grow into advance. Now, our life, we've already learned about it. It's not about us. It's not about us feeling secure. It's about going beyond ourselves. And we want you to advance beyond yourself. We understand that it's hard, that you may not know what you have to offer, that you don't know your gifts. You don't know who you are. This is a place for you to learn how to advance beyond yourself. And as we continue to move forward, this is transform. And transform helps us and allows us to influence others with confidence. And what we're saying here is disciple. Most of us have never learned how to disciple. We can maybe point out the people who have discipled us, but maybe we've never experienced an intentional process because we've lost sight of this since the 1700s, man. We've lost sight of discipleship, and it's time for something new. And then finally, to keep this fresh, to keep this focus, to keep us moving and moving, we'll take a step along the way. But once we have taken the steps, it's not over. We'll get together four times a year, and we will celebrate what God is doing inside of us, and we will keep a singular focus on who God is. If you take these steps, your life will be transformed. I've seen it happen. It's absolutely incredible. Why? Because these steps are so amazing? No. Because God gave us a job. And if we start to pursue that job, if we start to run that race and journey towards the cross, things change. And you experience freedom you never had before. The whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Take your next step, next step into discipleship. You can sign up right now by pulling out your phone and going to the now page. It might be a good idea to do that now, yeah, another dad joke. I lied. There's another one. <laughs> or you can go out to the kiosk, talk to John. You can sign out there as well. You will always have the opportunity in your hand to sign up for anything that we're doing from now on. Please move forward. Take your next step into discipleship or take your next step into community. A second thing we want you to do is get into a life group. You can go to Life Connect. Life Connect is an event where you can show up, eat a meal, hear about life groups, and then you can go and explore the different life groups that are either starting or adding new members. I'm excited to be there. I hope that you will come and join me and take a step into community. Hebrews 10, 23 says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may, what, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Wouldn't it be great to have someone running the race with you? And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to live within the body of Christ, and life groups is the way to do it. This is something that you meet weekly or biweekly, and you have people who love you. Do you need a place where you feel like you belong? This is where we create belonging. Maybe it's time to get into a life group. So I encourage you to sign up now for that. This is where Life Church really shines, and has would have been the core of who we are. 
please do that. You can take a step into discipleship. You can take a step into community, and you can also take a step into clarity. It's so good to have good vision. So that's why we're starting off this year with 21 days of prayer. On January 9th, commit to pray every single day with us as a church for 21 days. You can download your prayer guide on the Now page. You can join us on Facebook Live every single day. And then I encourage everyone strongly to come on Thursdays on the 9th, the 16th, and the 23rd for three Thursdays at 6.30 at night to come here and pray together. It's not gonna be something you've experienced before. It'll be something that you can dive in or you can observe. I encourage you to come and learn. Why? Because when we pray, things get clear. When we focus on the cross, this gets left behind and we can see what God wants. Maybe all it is is just the next foot and the next step, but there is clarity when we pray. See, praying isn't always about accomplishing something or getting something. It's about understanding what Christ desires for you and what desires to do through you. Paul wanted everything Jesus Christ had for him, and he would pursue it at all costs, and maybe if that passion has died in you, it's time to reignite it through prayer. This is a heart-leading action. You lead your heart where you want it to go, and prayer is that. Take a step into discipleship. Take a step into community. Take a step into clarity. And if you do this, this will transform our community. I see a day when prayer becomes second nature. When like Ephesians six eighteen, this is truth. We pray in the spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. When this happens, when we move, when we disciple, when we get into community, everything will change. Not only will prayer be second nature, but we'll live in community and no one will be left alone. I see a day when discipleship becomes so second nature, so normal to our faith that no one goes without having someone who's discipling them and no one goes without someone that they're discipling. No one goes without a Paul and no one goes without having Timothy, someone that they're investing in. I see a day... When our kids assume that having someone who loves on them and pours into them and that they do the same is what it means to be a Christian because that's what Jesus said it means. And somewhere along the way, we've lost our way. It's now to turn back to the center, that we've fallen in love with what God can do for us instead of what God can do through us. And I'm encouraging you to take the next step. Listen, when Jesus becomes the center and you take this step out, there's so much freedom and joy and striving and difficulty. But when you're orbiting around the cross instead of trying to arrive somewhere, no matter where you start the race, you know where you're supposed to move. And maybe you are way out here and you feel like you started your relationship with God out in the nodes bleeds, right? You're never going to get to that box, but you can get to the cross. Some of you are saying, man, I'm not out in the nosebleeds. I'm out in the parking the joy of the centered life of the cross. No matter where you are, God came to find you. You don't have to be in the box to belong. You belong because he said you did. Sometimes we forget that, especially if you're born into this. It's really hard to step out because that's all you've ever known. But I encourage you to embrace risk with me to see what God can do. Jesus is the center. 
and we have freedom to run and do impossible things together. Will you stand with me? As we finish, those who feel they're out in the parking lot or they're out in left field or you've lost your drive and you've been far away from God and you're here in church, you're giving it one more go, it's a new year, I want to encourage you, no matter where you're at, you're realizing for the first time, maybe Jesus isn't my center, that you embrace risk, you step out of the box with me and that you allow him to guide you. And I want to do that by helping you talk to God. He's in the room, he's with you. And, and he wants to say something to you. And you need to have a relationship with him. So I'm going to guide you by saying a prayer that you can say out loud or in your heart, but make it your own as I help you talk to God so that you can accept this sacrifice and start a journey with me, with us. Will you close your eyes? Will you bow your heads? For some of you, maybe you even open your hands to show with your body that your heart is open to hear from God, that we're pulling the barriers down for just a moment in this place of safety. All the things we built up to feel safe and secure, all the things we tell ourselves, just pull them down for just a small moment. Let the Spirit of God, the fullness of who God is, wash over you. I encourage you, if you want to follow Jesus, to pray with me now. God, I'm broken. Some things have been done to me, and I've done some things. And this gets in the way of me knowing you. I can't fix it. You, I'm so far. But God, you sent Jesus to come close. To do what I couldn't do. To give me something I didn't deserve, which is a new life. A new chance. And if I follow Jesus, if I journey towards him, I'll have a new life. I'll have freedom. I'll have purpose. So today I choose to take this step to leave and forget what is behind and to move towards you. Guide me in the truth of who you are. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, you can text I'm New to 734 349 3475 or fill out the form linked in the show notes below and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you might be listening to it. Um, and if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton Podcast. Have a great week, everybody.